We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Chapter 11. And let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you are a teacher. Lord, that we have your word, we have your grace, and that you have, even though we're wicked and wretched, you have great plans for us, Lord, as your people. You want to use our lives. You want to work in us, and and you want to work through us, Lord, and I just rejoice in that. And I pray, Lord, that tonight as we study your word, that you would just open our eyes to those things, Lord, that if we've been living on the leftovers, if we've been living a life that is anything less than absolutely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Lord, that there would be an awakening in us, and Lord, we would see how good you are, how good you are, how awesome you are, and Lord, how um, you want to even use someone like us. And I pray, Lord, that you would set us free. I pray, Lord, that you would touch us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you would teach us your word. As many lessons from the study tonight. May your Holy Spirit emphasize those things that you want to in each individual heart, especially some that tonight may they, maybe they don't know you. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they don't even know why they're here. Or maybe they're even here for the wrong reason. Lord, only you know. You love them. They, you love them. I pray today you would save them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to try to work our way through two chapters this evening. Because it's kind of one study, you know, it kind of goes together regarding this king, uh, Joash, also called Jehoash in Second Chronicles. If you want to get a full story, I encourage you to read Second Chronicles 22, 23, and 24. And there you'll see the parallel passage to what we're studying this evening. Because look what we read in verse 1. We come across Athaliah. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah, so that he was not killed. And so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years, while Athaliah reigned over the land. And if you were here last week, you heard that cool study uh, Henry gave uh, regarding the reign of Jehu and how he had cleaned house, he executed the king of Israel, He also executed the king of Judah because God was using him to bring judgment that was way overdue. And so now the king of Judah is dead and uh, what ends up happening is Athaliah, this wicked, wicked woman who's a descendant of Jezebel, says, hey, I'm going to take over. And so what does she do? Um, Ahaziah is dead. His brothers are dead. His nephews are dead. Now all she has to do is kill all the sons, which she does. She starts killing all the royal heirs, it says there in verse 1. But what ended up happening is Jehosheba, and she's Ahaziah's sister, 
she found the little, one of these little kids that, that, that Athaliah hadn't gotten to yet, just a baby. She hid him in the house and then in the temple. And what ends up happening is that he was hidden with her in that temple, it says, for six years, while this wicked lady, who was a worshiper of Baal, we're going to see she totally thrashed the temple of the Lord. Um, she was there reigning. And, and, you know, here's the thing, you guys. Um, what, what we find is that the Lord had, had given a promise. Back in Genesis chapter 49, when you read the promise of verse 10, it, it said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And what that means is this, that Genesis 49 reveals that the Messiah would come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and it would be connected to the kingly lineage of David. And so, now that all the descendants are dead, it's like, wait a minute, time out. God said that the Messiah was going to come through the kingly lineage of Judah, which happens to be David. We know that he was the one anointed by the Lord. Now he's dead. So here's my question. What happened to the promise of God? His, his descendants are all dead. So everybody thinks. See, and in our life, the promises of God. What are the promises of God? And there are many promises of God that we have in the Bible, you know. We'll talk a little bit about this as we go through our study today, you know. But what about even for your own life? What about the promises of God over your own life? You know, when you look and maybe you failed, maybe you messed up, maybe this happened, I don't know, whatever, and things are unexpected. It wasn't supposed to go this way. And then the enemy comes in and he says, you know what, the promises of God are not true. The promises of God are not for you. That's where the nation of Judah was at this point. Things didn't look too good. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how they look. God is true. God still has great plans for you. Remember Romans 8.28? The Bible says that God works all things together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You see, and that's what we're going to see in our study today because when things don't look good, uh, theologians call it the death of a vision. God is working. And God's plan and God's promise is still alive and well. You know, when God told Abraham to kill Isaac, you know, to kill his son, the one through whom all the promises would come, things didn't look good. He was willing to do it. But, you know, that doesn't look good. When God said, hey, David, you're going to be king, and next thing you know, Saul chases him out. And he's far from being king. The promise over his life didn't look good. When Jesus died that day on Calvary, the bloody death that he died, the promise didn't look good for him to be the one to save the world and to set up his throne there in Jerusalem. But you guys know, huh? Sunday's coming. And the same is true for your life. The same is true for my life. When Israel was you know, wiped out in 70 AD, as the Romans came and they surrounded the city and millions of Jews died, all the promises of God for Israel didn't look good, almost for 2,000 years. But then in 1948, they became a nation again. And you read you know, to the paper, you watch the news. I mean, Netanyahu, 
is here. And you know, he's making headlines. Why? Because Israel is alive and well. The promises of God for Israel are true. Jesus is coming. It's been a long time, but that promise is true. See, here, you know, things didn't look good. The devil thought he would win. Um, I heard Mark's study from Sunday. It was cool, but because he said, the, the, but the war's already won. We know that, right? The war is already won. So we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. There are battles to fight. Here it looked like the devil was going to win, but he doesn't win. The Bible says in Numbers 23, verse 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God's not a liar. His word is true. His promises are true. Romans chapter 3, verse 4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. And so things didn't look good, but they hid the little baby. And then in the seventh year, in verse 4, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Sir, and one third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapon in his hands, And whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So what's the seventh year? It's God's perfect timing. See, the Bible says that he who believes, he doesn't act hastily. Sometimes Christians, you know, they're like, they rush into things. And you got to wait on the Lord. You got to wait until the seventh year. I mean, it probably was very, very, very difficult to see wicked Athaliah on the throne of Judah, wicked woman there. It must have been very difficult to wait. But Jehoiada, he's a godly man. This guy right here, he should be one of your heroes. Jehoiada. I can't wait to meet him one day for a number of reasons. We're going to see how he influences this uh, king, Joash. He, he, you know, Joash, he doesn't have a dad because his dad got killed. He doesn't have uncles. He doesn't have nobody. But he steps in as a father figure and he raises the king in the ways of the Lord. And, and not only that, here's something that's pretty amazing. Jehoiada's wife is uh, this gal that we read about right here, um, Jehosheba, in verse 2. She's the one that was used by God to rescue the, the, the child. You can read that over in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 22, verse 11. So here's the thing, why this is so impressive, because um, she is the daughter of a wicked king. The, her whole family 
descendants of Omri and Ahab and you know Jezebel, that whole thing, they were all wicked, influencing the southern kingdom of Judah to worship Baal, neglect the Lord for 15 years. It was crazy. And this guy Jehoiada, he was able to influence even this gal from a wicked background to become a godly woman. So this guy Jehoiada, it's just everything about him, you know, and that's the way it should be for us as as husbands influencing our wife to become a godly woman. You know, the greatest uh, influence in your life will be your spouse, right? And sometimes we mess them up. (laughs) We want to build them up instead of messing them up. Sometimes we treat them more like the Antichrist than we do Christ. We have to influence them for good. Jehoiada did that with this woman, and then he's going to do it for this, you know, king. It doesn't hurry, though. He waits for the right time. I mean, he probably technically could have done it while the child was younger, but no, he waits, and then the right time is so cool. Um, He has this plan. And it, I don't know, you know, it's just an amazing plan as he gathers people together, he gathers bodyguards, he gathers a total of 500 men. And we're going to see when you read Second Chronicles, he gathers the Levites and the priests that weren't in Jerusalem, he gathers them all together, he gathers all the influential people together, and he comes up with a wonderful plan, undoubtedly from the Lord. And that's what happens when you pray and you wait on the Lord, he'll show you the marching orders, how you can attain the victory that you need to have. And so he gives the plan, and then in verse 9, so the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. And then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and they said, Long live the king. And, and the messianic lineage is restored. You know, the king is crowned. And the Lord's going to use this guy Jehoiada in such a mighty way, you know. And, and, I, and I read this right here. And it's just neat how you read in verse 12 that they gave the king, he's only seven years old, but they gave him the testimony. Not the testimony, okay? The, the testimony. And what is that? That's a reference to the word of God. You know, and and it's so cool. If you have a crown, man, I want to encourage you to have the the word. I guess I could say it this way. If you have authority, any type of authority, let it be a biblical authority. You know, the Bible says the Lord is the one who raises up and he puts down. Exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west, right? Psalm 75, 6 and 7. And so when the Lord does give you that authority or give you that what I would call more of a responsibility, if he gives you a title, if he gives you a task, really know the Bible well. So they gave him a Bible. Now, for us, that's not a big deal because everybody has a Bible, right? How many Bibles do you have? I have 27 Bibles, (laughs) right? Every language. I even have the Hawaiian Bible, man. 
It's pretty cool. What's it called? What, what's the language? Pigeon, yeah. And I have one of those. You know, and, and you know, um, I, I saw on the a video, the YouTube video the other day, how they smuggled Chinese uh, Bibles into China. Did any of you see that video when they opened up the suitcase and 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 they saw that they ran to the Bible, you know, kissing the Bible. I mean, almost like just an adoration of God. We 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 take this thing and we go and we. You know, I always say this, and get our guests a via, we watch TV, and it just kicks it there, and it, it gathers dust. We might bring it to church and open it there. But I'm telling you, man, this is so cool, how they gave him the testimony. And what he was supposed to do, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, was he was supposed to write the Bible out. Not just read it, but write it. Write it out. Why? Why write it out? Because if you write it out, you know, you're meditating on it. You're, you're learning it. Uh, you're getting to know the Word. You know, I, I read recently, how many of you heard of that guy uh, from New York? He wrote the whole Bible out. Any of you guys read about that story? I just read it the other day. He wrote, he wrote the whole Bible out. It took him four years to do it. Sometimes he would work on it up to 14 hours a day. Then he said the reason he wanted to do it is because he wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to know the Lord more. Man, I really encourage you to get into this word. My pastor would tell me that sin will keep you from this book. But this book will keep you from sin. This is your sword. This is your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. If you like Star Wars, we'll call it a lightsaber, whatever. You guys know what a difference that makes, right? Even in the cartoon Hercules, one of my favorite scenes is when he, he lifts up the fish. He says, a hero's only as good as his sword. A hero's only as good as his sword. How we have to have this sword. How we have to know it. How we have to know how to swing it and not just have it here. When Jesus fought the devil, he swung his sword. He quoted scripture and he obeyed it. That's how we swing our sword. Quote it. Tell the devil the truth when he tells you a lie. You stand on the truth and then you live the truth. The king, they they crowned him, and that's cool, but they gave him a Bible. And they said, hey, Mr. King, you need to take this testimony and you need to live it out. We read in Deuteronomy 31.9, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. It's interesting. In the Ark of the Covenant, there was the testimony. Do you guys know that? According to Exodus 25.16 and Exodus 25.21. And the testimony would be the, what, the Ten Tablets, right? The, the law, um, the Ten Commandments, which was symbolic of... God's word. And so we read in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 19, Also it shall be when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it, notice, all the days of his life. And sometimes you hear people and they say, well, you know, you guys tell me to read my Bible every day. You know, you're, you're, maybe they might say you're legalistic. Well, I think legalistic is when you take God's word and you add to it. 
See, we're not adding to it when we encourage you to read the Bible every day. Psalm 1, it talks about that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, not just reading it, but regurgitating and studying it, meditating, not just once a day, but in the morning and in the evening. That's the word of the Lord. It's not a rule or regulation that some legalistic leader is giving to you. It's from the Lord himself. Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible. Read it. Open up your heart. Watch what God will do in your life. He was supposed to do this. He shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. And that's why we read it, not just to get it done, you know, not just to know it, not for head knowledge, but so that, that we know how to live life, right? And so they give him the testimony, and we're going to see it, it does help him, it does help him make some decisions. Look at verse 13. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason, treason. I mean, just everybody's, everybody's so happy. You know, Obama's gone or whatever. You know, Athaliah's, we're so happy. We're going to get a new governor or whatever. We're, you know, we got the king now. The king, the promise is true, right? I mean, they're just praising the Lord, right? She says treason. Wait a minute, time out. You're the one who committed treason. He belonged there. You didn't. But isn't it so funny how sometimes these people, they get so discombobulated. So, you know, she sees this all happen. Verse 15, Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and they said to them, take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. So cool. And so we read in verse 17 that Jehoiada, he made a covenant. I know, because sometimes we're like all sympathetic with sin. Why? It, it, it just wants to take you to hell. It wants to kill you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to disqualify you. There's no mercy there. Kill it, right? Murder your flesh. And so it says in verse 17 that Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. And then he sat on the throne of the king's. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet or peaceful, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. 
And so this guy Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Imagine that, seven years old. Yeah, I'm the king. Imagine that. You know, it's funny, huh? But we're going to see Jehoiada was the one, you know, guiding him in this whole thing. You know what? Don't you guys love what you read there in verse 17? When all this is happening and, you know, they get the new king in there, they get rid of the wicked Athaliah, that they make this covenant in verse 17. It says, between the Lord, the king, and the people. But notice the covenant that they make. That they should be the Lord's people. And to me, that's so perfect. That's the covenant that we make, you know. Um, you know we belong to the Lord. There's a brother in Cambodia, his name is Long, and we like to tell him that he belongs to God because he longs for God. But his name really is Long. You know, it's important for us to know not only where we need to be, but who we belong to. And part of this whole covenant is just keeping that claim, your constant focus, that we should be the Lord's people. For we are the Lord's people. We should live in that truth. It's a comforting truth to know that we're the Lord's people. And it's also a commanding truth to know that we're the Lord's people. You know, um, you don't have to worry about your life. God's your Father. And you don't have to worry about your life. Jesus is your shepherd. Why you worry about your life? You're God's responsibility. What do you do? What do you gain by, by, by living in fear? Nothing, except you just, you know, maybe you give yourself an anxiety attack or something. You damage to yourself, but God, you're in God's hands. He'll take care of you. He'll, he'll take care of you. He may not give you everything you want. Praise God for that. What happened to your life if you got everything that you wanted? You'd get jacked up, man. You would get so distracted with all the things of this life. God will take care of you. You're God's people. And I pray that would be a comforting truth to you. Don't worry, man. Don't worry. Your whole life is in his hands. Don't worry. Don't worry. But also, you know, being the Lord's people, there's a commanding truth here, you know? I mean... With that as our understanding, you know, we should be like citizens of heaven. We should be like children of God. We should be sheep who follow our shepherd. I like one of Warren Wiersbe's, you know, books is just called Be Who You Are. You know, you're the Lord's people. You're Christians, you know, so, so be like that. Remember that. Psalm 95, 6 and 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So then he goes on to say, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. What's God trying to tell you? What's God trying to rearrange in your life? How many of you here, you're not, you're not just, your bottom line is there might be one or two or maybe a few more of you, and you're not living for the Lord. You're not sold out. You're not completely committed. You've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. What good is that to be lukewarm? You'll be miserable. 
You're God's people. So make that covenant. I'm going to be like the people of the Lord. I, I should live like He wants me to. You know, it's a comforting truth, but it's also a commanding truth. He's our shepherd. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. How do you harden your heart? By doing nothing. You go home and you get your quesadilla and you watch TV. Maybe the Lord will want you to do that tonight. That's fine. I don't want to, you know, overstep my boundaries here. But you know what I mean? It's like you just do nothing. You're very passive in your walk. You're very complacent in your walk. There's no fire in your life. Other people watching you, they wouldn't have a clue you're a Christian. Other Christians, they, they don't see, even Christians don't see a fire in you. Now, now, that's not what we want, right? We want people, we want people to, you know, see the fire, and then they catch that fire. We really want to be sold out, because we're the Lord's people. Don't harden your heart, because if you go home and you do nothing, or worse than that, you're like, I don't like that guy. I don't like what he said, because he told me to be an obedient Christian, you know, like fully surrendered to the Lord, you know, and that's hardening your heart. Okay? You keep hardening your heart, you keep hardening your heart, then the day will come where you cross that line. And it gets harder and harder to hear. But when you're walking with the Lord and, and you're just you're wanting to, to be right on, you hear easier. You're able to hear the Lord. Don't harden your heart. Hardening your heart. Don't harden your heart. All I know is that's not good. When Jesus says, jump, I say, how high? Whatever it is, Lord, speak, for your servant listens. Don't harden your heart, because we're his people, Psalm 95, 7. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. And we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so know that the Lord, he is God. He made you. You didn't make yourself. And we are his sheep. That's all he's saying right here is we're going to enter into this covenant with the Lord that we're going to be the Lord's people. The Hebrew word translated covenant is found like 300 times in the Bible. And it's an important word describing the commitment, the treaty, the alliance, the pledge in this context between God and men. And so we have a covenant with God. Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, there you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That if you just keep this covenant, you know, you just stick to your faith in me, man, then you guys, you're going you're gonna to enjoy the blessings of that. And you guys know that, right? That if you obey the Lord, he'll bless your life. You guys know that? It may not happen tomorrow, but you plant those seeds of obedience and you're going to see a fruit of blessing, a bountiful blessing. Psalm 25.10 says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. And Psalm 78.10 says, They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in His law. And there you read in Psalm 78 that God had to discipline them. Now, if there were such beautiful promises for them in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant, how much more do you think the promises are for us in the New Covenant? In the New Covenant, Jesus said when we take communion, is, is, is rooted in His blood. 
And so we have this covenant. Uh, they entered into the covenant, and it's just a beautiful thing, you know, the king, the people, and the Lord. And so we read in chapter 12 and verse 1, In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Now, Joash is also known as Jehoash. He did what was right, kind of like me. I'm Manny and Manuel. But don't tell my wife that my name is Manuel. And don't call me Manuel in front of her, because she'll beat you up. So anyways, Jehoash was also Joash. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Now there is a little red flag right there. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as this guy was around. We'll come back to that later. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And again, if I could just reiterate this, because I know many of you here, this is how you are. You are used by God to make forever differences in the lives of other people. Jehoiada influenced his wife. Here we see he influenced his nephew. And it's so cool to see that he stepped in big time after his father died and he filled the role of a father figure. And that's just as another quick side note, a little bit more specific. Maybe there's somebody that you know who doesn't have a father figure. And I just pray that we would know how huge, how important it is that every boy has a father figure. Now, I know they have God. They have the Father God. I know that. But we got to know this, too. Maybe you know of one who doesn't. And you have to ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to get involved in their life? And maybe you'll be the one. At the orphanage, when we were there um, doing work. Now, you guys saw the pictures. and You know that I wasn't working that hard. And, you know, I was just holding the thin piece of wood right here. <laughs> but, um, you know, other guys were Gabriel and Rich. They were doing most of the work. But it was so cool. Oh, man, it was so cool to see the young boys watching them work. They were mesmerized. They were just mesmerized. Because they don't have that. They don't have a father figure. They don't have someone to show them how to do man stuff. And so when they're there doing that, they're just mesmerized. And I remember, you know, last year doing the same thing. And then the kids just coming up and wanting to help and, and wanting to learn. This guy Jehoiada, he was that to Jehoash or Joash. He was that. We can be that to people. The Lord will show you. The Lord will show you who. The Lord will show you how. Sometimes even dads need to make sure they're that to their own sons. And teach them how to how to burp. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> teach them how to be a man. <laughs> right? And so anyways, uh, verse 3 says, the high places were not taken away and so, remember, the, the command was you're supposed to tear down all the high places. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, as you do that, 
You know, they were supposed to go to the temple and worship. And so um, in these days, they didn't tear down the high places. They still sacrificed there, but the difference is they sacrificed to the Lord. And so in one sense, it was a compromise. And compromises are not, are not good, right? Sometimes you'll read as you go through Kings that that's one thing the Lord would always notice. You know, they did really good. They did really good, except for they compromised in that area. And so we need to search our hearts. I pray that there's nothing that we can put our finger on that God can put his finger on and say, except for they compromise in that area. Let there be no compromises in our life. Verse 4, And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the hand house of the Lord, each man census money, each man assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his own constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Now it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Jehoash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. And so as uh, Jehoash got older, and we're not 100% sure how old he was, but it came into his heart as he looked around the temple that had been neglected for many years, especially under the leadership of Athaliah, that it says in Second Chronicles 24.4, that had said he set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. You know, because things were getting worn down. Now, you guys, we know, um, I think we're taught well, that the building in and of itself is not sacred um, or the most important matter in the matter. But here's the thing. When you see neglect in the building, it's usually a reflection that there's a neglect of the body. And we're going to see this, uh, we'll see it later in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 10, verse 39, that they had neglected uh, the house of the Lord. And again, over in the book of Haggai, if you read chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 8, you'll see how the people had fixed up their own houses, but they didn't, they didn't care about the Lord's house. They didn't give to, to fixing up the Lord's house. And so, you know, there's a lesson there. And uh, what ends up happening is uh, Joash sees the need and he has it in his heart. He tells them to do it. But uh, we don't know how much time went by, but apparently they, they didn't do it. He told them, hey, you guys got to fix up the house wherever there's any dilapidation. Don't you like that word? Dilapidation. And, uh, and they didn't. And they didn't fix it up. And so he comes back in, in verses 6 and forward and uh, he says, hey, we got to take care of business here. Now, there, it's not really clear between verses 6 and 8 exactly what the plan is. Um, more than likely what happened was he said this. He said, take the money. I mean, the money that's coming in, maybe they were taking the money for themselves. And they were taking the money to buy um, more trinkets for um, the temple. And, 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 he, and more than likely here, King Joash said, stop doing that. We need to fix up the house of the Lord. You guys can't do it, obviously. We're going to have to have other guys do it, other builders, other construction guys, other craftsmen. And so 
That's probably what happened there. And again, it's a lesson for leaders. Uh, many of us here are leaders. If you're a husband, you're a leader. You guys know that, right? You can't blame it on your wife one day. You stand before the Lord and say, well, you know what? I wanted to tithe, but you know what? She never did. You're the leader. You're the leader. You made the decisions. Oh, I didn't want cable TV, or I didn't want to watch that movie, or whatever it is. You're the leader. You have the responsibility whether you like it or not. All leaders have that. God puts you there. So we want to try to do a good job, and whatever it is that we're supposed to do, if God shows us to do it, we have to make sure that it's followed through with. Here, it wasn't followed through. It's a lesson for us to make sure that the things we are led to do and delegate to others is actually done, and so there needs to be a follow-through. There even needs to be an inspection after the direction. That's what we read in Exodus 39, 42, and 43. Remember how the Lord gave to Moses all the, the details in the tabernacle, and uh, he, then Moses delegated it to all the other people, and they did the work, right? But it says in Exodus 39, 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work, and then Moses looked over all the work. And indeed, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. So remember that as a leader, doesn't, it's not just enough to give the command, you have to make sure that it's actually follow through with. We're not sure how much time had transpired, but it was enough for King Joash to implement some more stringent demands. And so from now on, the money that came in was not to be used for the temple items. As a matter of fact, look over at verse 13, just real quick. However, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. And so that they, apparently they were using it for stuff like that instead of fixing the walls. There's holes in the wall. Fix the hole. There's leaks in the roof. That's what dilapidation literally means, leaks. You guys need new carpet. You need new whatever it is, you know. It, it doesn't look presentable. It's not right. You know, and, and one of the things that I've seen over the years is um, just the blessing that these guys that are gifted in construction bring to the church. You know, I've been a Christian now since 1989. I, how long is that? 20-some years. I've, and I've seen it over the years. There's different gifts. Some guys can play the guitar like Rob, and, you know, it's pretty cool. You're, you know, other guys can, whatever, you know, they get the ability to maybe be a teacher. Other guys, they can build walls. It's amazing. Here, when you guys remember when this was all messed up? Do you guys remember? Um, it was so cool. One of the people in the body got laid on their heart to, you know, give so that wouldn't be so dilapidated. And it, it's not perfect now, but it looks, you know, 100% better. And the other day, um, we got together as a board, and I was telling them about the repairs that we need in the nursery and uh, uh, the linoleum that we need to replace over in the children's ministry. Not that we won't live without it, but it just doesn't look right. And so they gave the okay. You know, hey, go for it. The money's there. Let's spend it on things. Let's make sure that we fix up the house of the Lord. Because if we neglect the building, like I said earlier, it's a reflection that we neglect the body. It may not be the nicest building, but it should be neat. It might not be the costliest building, but it should be clean. This is in one sense like God's house. And so we shouldn't be lacking or leaking or squeaking. <laughs> right? We need to keep it up. 
And this, uh, that shows uh, actually a sign of revival, and this is what we need. Uh, we need not novelties, but realities. And so, um, in verse 9, look what happens. Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. It's kind of like what we have back there. It's called an agape box. You know, they, this whatever, they put a hole in it. It says, hey, if you guys want to give, cool. Out of sight, right? And so it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And then they gave the money which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, and any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord, which... With it, Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. That, on the other hand, belonged to the priests. And so they have this agape box. People give. They start hiring these guys who have the skills to fix up the house of the Lord and uh, it just God uses them for His glory. Um, and we're going to see, even if you guys are, I don't know for sure if this is going to happen, but there's always construction projects. Where's Robert at? Is Robert here? Yeah, there's always construction projects, huh, Robert? Yeah, and some of you guys are really good at it. Maybe you're an electrician or a plumber or you're a drywaller or you're a mudder or whatever it is, you know. It doesn't matter. Some of us are grunts, right? We can help. They're going to do a. Um, uh, they're going to build a team house in the on the orphanage in Takayo in October, and so we're praying about that. There's actually a construction project I heard about today, over in Vizcaíno, um, and so pretty cool. The Lord uses that uh, for His glory, and this is what they did, right? It's interesting in verse 15 and 16 how it says they didn't require an account from these guys, you know, who dealt with the finances. Uh, it says, because they dealt faithfully. And so it's cool when the Lord raises up faithful men, honest men, who can be trusted with things like that. Now, we need accountability. Um, we really do. When Wherever we're dealing with finances, there's got to be an accountability, not only you know uh, to protect the Lord's funds, but also to protect ourselves. You know, if someone tries to give me cash, I say, no, I don't take cash. Well, maybe, no, I'm just joking, I'm just, I don't. I say, give it to the agape box. Put it back there. Put your name on an envelope. But we try really carefully to be accountable, not only to protect that, but to protect me. Because then someone, one day, they'll say, hey, Manny, you know, and the accusation goes there. And I say, oh, no, I don't, I don't do that. So, but the thing that's cool about this is how there were faithful men, honest men, who can be trusted with the Father's funds, and to be honest, they're rare nowadays. A lot of those guys out there in, you know, that are leading churches, and you see them on TV especially, those guys. And you know, and I just, isn't it? And I, and I pray you guys know this. I pray you guys know this. 
Because we're from Calvary Chapel. We don't, we don't ask for money. Yeah, but they're at Calvary and they're asking for money. Well, that's not the heart of Calvary. That's not the philosophy that Pastor Chuck taught us. Well, they're affiliated. I know, I know, I know. Sometimes the guys, they, they don't, we don't do good in this. We should never ask for money. We should never try to manipulate you into giving and reaching some type of level, you know, the gold level, the bronze level, the silver level. That's not good. Stuff like that is not good. You just pray. Where God guides, God provides. You know, and so, you know, but when the Lord raises up guys that are faithful and honest, and even in the kingdom, and they're they're not it's not about money. You know, because it doesn't have to be a bigger church. It doesn't have to be a bigger crusade. It doesn't have to be bigger every time. I mean, sure, we want to reach as many people as we can, but we want it to be the Lord. And, and, you know, the Lord, think about this. You know, he didn't have a crusade with a million people. He, he poured into 12 guys. Maybe there was about 120 on the day of Pentecost. That's not a big church. But he did what the Father told him to do, and he changed the world. That's all we're required to do. Do what God calls us to do, and we pray, and the Lord provides. You know, um, God's work, God's, God's work done God's way will never lack for God's provision. And so these guys were faithful, honest men, which is rare. Psalm 12, verse 1, it says, The Psalm of David, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They're rare, but you know what? There are some of you guys that are out there, you know, I trust you with my life because you're faithful. And so in verse 17, we see now the downfall. Hazael, king of Syria, he went up and fought against Gath and took it. And then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Haziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred things and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent them to Haziel, king of Syria. And then he went away from Jerusalem. See, he's starting to decline. And if you read Chronicles, what ends up happening is a small army is going to defeat a big army. Why? Because the Lord's not fighting for them anymore. And so it says in verse 19, Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose, formed a conspiracy, and they killed Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Sia. For Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him, so he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And so you don't really read it here, but if you go over to Second Chronicles 24, and we'll close with this, you guys. Because as we've been reading through the kings, and man, just through the Bible, it's important to finish well. You don't want to just start well. You also want to finish well. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you guys to grow stronger every day. I mean, to just draw closer to the Lord every day. You know, never have that mentality that says, well, new believers are on fire, and then it kind of fades away, and then they put it into cruise control. No, we should get stronger in the Lord. We want to finish well. We want to finish well. 
Um, here we see Jehoiada didn't finish well. Second Chronicles 24 and verse 17, it says, Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and they bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. So what do you see there? They're flattering the king, huh? They're flattering him. Beware of flattery. Sometimes people will, will, will tell you that you're the best thing since sliced bread. It's because they want it. They want something. They want to control you. They want to manipulate you. It happens a lot. Oh, they're just so sweet. Beware. That's what they did. They came. They bowed down to him. And the king listened to him. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord. Oh, man, the God of their fathers. And served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. Now, this is a son. This is a Jehoiada's son. And he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. And so they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him with the stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Imagine that. I mean, Jehoiada was the one that, man, raised him up and rescued him. And now he kills his son. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. And so what happened in the spring of the year that the army of the Syrians came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand. Why? Because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And so they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. And so in closing, so much here, so many different lessons, but in the, in the end, here's the thing. Um, Joash had what we would call a very shallow commitment to God. It may have been wide, and it may have been long, you know, 40 years. But it wasn't deep. He, he lived his life, maybe in many respects, to please that guy, Jehoiada. But he didn't really live his life to please God. And so I pray the Lord would just work in us a very, very deep commitment to Him. You know, fellowship with God, relationship with God. Because the promises of God are still true. Man, I'm telling you this, you guys. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or what's been happening in your life. It doesn't even matter what happened before you came to service tonight and you're just thinking, man, Lord, I don't know you know, how this is all going to work out, or you're just worried, or maybe the devil's trying to tell you that, you know what, you've messed up, you've gone too far. No way. You know, God brought you here. God brought me here. God brought us here tonight. Because I'm telling you this, man, he wants to lavish you with his love. 
And he wants to just baptize you with his power. And he wants to awaken you and just bring us to a place in our walk that we have never been. And we're going to be, you know, knowing the Lord more than we've ever known him, but not as much as we're going to know him tomorrow. (laughs) And the day after, why? Because the Bible says the path of the just is like the shining of the sun that grows brighter and brighter and brighter even unto the perfect day. That's what God wants for us, man. More and more. Uh, there's two Greek words that I've always loved. Halfax is uh, where it's all, it's all done, once and for all. And malon, which is more and more. We need to be, you know, malons. More and more, Lord. You know, we've got to finish well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. And Lord, just for the lessons of uh, the Old Testament, Lord, so cool to see them, not just in, in, in words of theology, but living, lived out for us to watch and to learn from even the, the lessons that are good, the lessons that are bad. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.